Lao food is all about their spice. There's actually a saying where um, bo, uh, bo sap, uh, if uh, bo pet bo sap, that means if it's not spicy, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> and so, uh, I kind of feel that. I feel that. <laughs> Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts Eli Aruth, editor in chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch up. About a month ago, a listener, 10 Deep Eats, hit up my DMs and sent me a post from our guest here today, Chef Sang Duangdara, a Laotian chef and cooking instructor that took issue with some of our coverage of Michelin-recognized farmhouse kitchen uh, that has locations in San Francisco, Oakland, and Portland. What? That place is delicious, dude. In his post, he explicitly called out our video as a misrepresentation of both Lao cuisine and culture mm. based on the menu item offerings and how people were specifically eating everything with their hands. Mm. After reading his post, I wanted to invite him on the podcast for a deeper dive into defining the potential misrepresentation, who's to blame, and most importantly, what we can all learn about Lao food and culture in the process. Chef Sang, uh, welcome to the Catch Up Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome, man. Welcome. Before we dive into the farm Thai house situation specifically, I'd love to learn more about you. Uh, I read that you were born in a refugee camp in Thailand after your parents fled Laos because of the Vietnam War. How long did you live in Thailand before you made your way to the U.S.? So... I moved, or my family moved out of the refugee camp after I turned two years old. So I don't remember anything at all. Um, but my family, my older sister, she was about uh, nine years old. So she does have vague memories that come in and out about those really hard times. Um, and we moved to Wisconsin when I was two years old, and that's where I was raised most of my life. So I'm like a cheesehead slash Lao guy. <laughs> <laughs> Why Wisconsin? Um, well, the government, the U.S. government, they relocated a lot of the refugees in different parts of the country. And so when you think of Lao, Laotian communities, I think of Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, New Jersey, Texas, Sacramento, Fresno. So those are pockets of the Lao, Laotian community that they kind of put around the country because they wanted uh, the c communities to be everywhere, not just in one pocket. That's pretty crazy to think that the you know, that our government kind of dictated where those communities would start. And now I'm assuming they still exist in those communities. Yeah. All the places you just mentioned. Well, it's funny because they do exist, but they also, the Lao communities have kind of migrated into their own other areas. Like, oh, wait, my cousin lives over there. So I'm going to go towards them. So they've been able to find family and cousins without knowing where they are until after they come to the United States. That's wild. That's wild. What yeah. was living in Wisconsin like being Lao? 
Uh, well, for me, I was raised in Janesville, Wisconsin, so I was pretty much one of maybe five other Lao families. Um, and of course, we had like some Vietnamese family, Cambodian families, but predominantly a, a white community. And so a lot of it, you know, I became an expert cheese head. And, <laughs> um, but I mean, at home, it was always about eating Lao food. It was always eating Lao food. And then going to school was eating the elementary like pizza and burgers. PB&J. So very different. Yeah. Dang. So what was school like challenging, kind of like acclimating with mm-hmm. that, knowing what's going on, like having your yeah. food at home and, and the culture at home and then coming to school was kind of like a shock? I mean, I think as a kid, I didn't realize that was different. I just thought maybe everyone, everyone goes home, they eat their own Lao food or whatever <laughs> type of food they, they were to eat. Um, so I just thought, you know, this is just the food that was easiest to serve to kids. And I think I, I realized that I was different, like once I was in high school and things like that. Um, and that people didn't really know what Lao food was until I like kind of brought it out there to the to show other people. So a lot of uh, Asian American, or at least like first and second generation Asian American families that I know, um, and I'm half of one kind of, but they grew up with a lot of Asian food in the home, but mm-hmm. only almost solely Asian food in the home. Uh, so for, for me, Eli, my mom married a Caucasian guy. So we had everything from teriyaki to lasagna to shabu shabu to pizza. Like there was a pretty mixed um, and diverse set of food that I was introduced to from a very young age. Was Lao food the predominant food that you ate for a certain period of time? Or were you also getting, you know, did you eat out, mm-hmm. for example? Because I know a lot of uh, Asian American families di- don't eat out um, yes. and only have their own food at home. Um, I'm curious about what your experience in Wisconsin was like. I, you know, mm-hmm. does, did a restaurant scene even exist where you lived, for yeah. example? Um, for my family, I always actually like telling this story because for me, I thought it was normal that my family ate at home all week. We never went to a restaurant until I graduated high school, and they thought that's what we should do because everyone else is doing so. We should go to a restaurant. That was going like to Red of, Robin, baby. Exa- Let's go. Actually, it was Olive Garden. I was like, what is this? I was like, oh, this is great. This is fancy. Someone's serving you. And so I didn't really get that restaurant experience until I graduated high school. And the same thing with like eating. It was like everyone ate on a table, but we didn't eat on it, or we had our like mats that we sat on and we brought like a kind of small wooden table that we'd bring to the middle of the room and eat, but we didn't get like an official table until high school. But I thought that was my normal. I didn't know it was different until I went to friends' places and was able to see what they ate, how they ate, and things like that. Dude, I, I, I gotta tell you, I relate a lot. Because <laughs> I, I, you, when you're talking about going to school and you didn't know any different, and then you eat what you eat at school and you go home, and you assumed everyone else was going home and having whatever their culture was. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that too. I'd be like, I go to school, I'd have my peanut butter and jelly, and then I'd go home, and then I would have like stuffed grape leaves, chicken and garlic, and have all these things that are like tied to the Lebanese culture. Mm-hmm. And then. I started going to some of my friends' house during the day and after school, and then it would just be the same stuff that was there. Like, all right, cool. But I would be giddy about it. I'd be like, I'd be super excited about Mrs. Hanover's peanut butter and bacon sandwiches on white bread. I was like super excited. And so it's funny to see that you you don't really think about that stuff a ton as a kid. Like you, it, it wasn't like a detriment at anything. I, I didn't consider that for me growing up. And I don't know if you... But you said you didn't even kind of fully realize it until about mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. So. What was your relationship uh, with different types of 
food within uh, Lao food and what like so what did you eat growing up? Yeah. That's probably the better question. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so if I was at home, so my parents, they worked, either my mom was working in the morning, my dad was working in the evening, so I didn't see them until the weekends usually, but I always saw Lao food ready, hot on the table, because my mom would have it ready for the kids. Um, so I was always having sticky rice, which is very dis- different from jasmine rice, so sticky rice we'd always eat with our hands, and then with that, my mom usually made some kind of spicy dip. Lao food is all about their spice. There's actually a saying where um, bo, uh, bo sap, uh, if, uh, bo pet bo sap, that means if it's not spicy it doesn't taste good <laughs> and so, I, gotta, I gotta feel that I gotta feel that and so up. I grew up eating spicy food always spicy food with sticky rice and some kind of meat and dip and sometimes there were different stews like gangnomite which is like a really earthy bamboo stew and for me my palate changed quite a bit growing up as a kid to now and now I really do appreciate and love like the more bitter um, like jungle kind of Asian food can I ask? Can I ask? Because for those for those listening and, and trying to grab the context of why we're having this conversation to begin with, Foodby shot a video. I know you mentioned it in the intro, Jeff, but we shot a video at this place called Farmhouse Table. Uh, the primary one that we shot at was in San Francisco, and within that video, we refer to something as a Lao table feast. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get into why, what in that video felt wrong, mm-hmm. and so we can kind of break it down sure. a little bit. Um, and I know we're talking about you growing up and we're going to learn about that cuisine, mm-hmm. but I think on the top line, I want to know what felt incorrect in that video yeah. because it's extremely important. Like we're, we're, we're passionate about learning and, and doing better. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who might've seen that video, and if, if you haven't, we're going to go through it right now, but it's basically, we have a, we have a table set. And it's at a restaurant called Thai Farmhouse. There's bamboo leaf set, and there's a bunch of food on the table. Let's take it from there. I'm yeah. sure you've seen the video. Yeah. And what was what was wrong to you? What mm. was was anything right? How mm. did you feel watching that video? Sure. I mean, I think watching it for the first time as like just a regular person wanting to watch a cool video, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, oh wow, the food looks delicious. I don't know what they're serving there, but it looks good, looks colorful. I would like to try to eat it. Um, but then like reading what they're serving, like it's a Lao table, Lao experience, Lao food. And then for me, it kind of like struck that chord of like, whoa, that's not anything I ever saw eating or grew up eating or even going to Lao restaurants and having. Um, so like, I think of the one thing that sticks out is, is like the, the blue rice. It looked like it was blue jasmine rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I guess the, the woman eating pad thai with her hands. So just in general pad thai, it's not Lao. Um, and then just a lot of really vibrant uh, fruits and vegetables. Not saying that's Lao or not Lao, but there was no um, like common national dishes on the table besides like big meats and veggies, I guess. So give give us a give us an elementary description of where Laos is mm-hmm. and why where it fits in with Thailand and yeah. where, and and why these confusions might be happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So Laos, the country, so L-A-O-S, it's a landlocked country in Southeast Asia. And so it's bordered by five countries. So you have Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Burma, and China. And so I, the, a lot of the confusion that I usually notice from people is that they don't know the history. And so a lot of the times the food that is over here in the United States, which we have like hundreds and hundreds of Thai restaurants, right? Sure. And the migration of the Thai community have come over here 
quite differently than the migration of like Vietnamese or Lao or Hmong people. And so that also affects how restaurants, how how people here um, kind of represent their food. And so before even Lao people came, um, a lot of this, you know, people knew about Thai restaurants and that was the marketing uh, way of marketing food, at least Southeast Asian food that, you know, um, these non-Asian people, they seem to like Thai food. And so that's what everyone grabbed onto. And so when Lao people came over, um, you know, they didn't have much, but they knew how to cook. They knew what Thai food tasted. They knew what Vietnamese food tasted. And so the only thing that they could grab on is actually making more, m- making more Thai restaurants but also making Thai food for those Thai restaurants and kind of eating Lao food in the back because they preferred Lao food, not mm. eating Thai food. But we, they knew that uh, Thai food was the popular thing and people knew about. So would there be Laotian food on Thai menus oftentimes? Because like, if, if Thai mm. was the easiest gateway for yeah. Americans to understand based on how many Thai restaurants there mm. were, did, did you see a lot of Laotian food on like maybe the back page of a mm-hmm. Thai restaurant menu? Yeah, when I was younger, they're, they're, they would sporadically put certain Lao dishes there that they thought Westerners would like. Um, and actually, like one of my uh, cooking mentors is Chef Sang, S-E-N-G. She's in Washington, D.C., and she's been the big movement for Lao food. Um, and she actually started by opening a Thai restaurant, and then she kind of slowly integrated Lao food, and now eventually all her restaurants are actually Lao. Because she she she's empowered by her food and knows that it's good, and then that's actually kind of scattered throughout the the nation, kind of getting more people to feel good about their food. Because it used to be where like it, it was in the closet where people didn't want to talk about their food because they didn't know it was good. Because they came over here as refugees, not just worried and wanting to assimilate. Sure. So saying you're you're essentially saying that using Thai as or the, using the word Thai and associating Thai mm-hmm. with their restaurant was Western marketing. Um, is that because if someone wanted to put Laotian or Lao food on their sign of a restaurant or on their menu that it wouldn't be understood, nor would people want to eat it? Like what's your, mm-hmm. was it happening because of that? Um, cause I'm curious about, uh, well, we had recently interviewed Farley Elliott, who's uh, one of the lead writers at uh, Eater L- Los Angeles. And he wrote a piece recently about how uh, in early Los Angeles, restaurants were called Spanish, but they were actually Mexican restaurants and kind of branded European because that's what Westerners would resonate to. And mm-hmm. they might associate Mexican with a negative trait and Spanish with a positive trait. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about how similar or dissimilar you think uh, Lao food under the Thai moniker is. Uh, well, in general, knowing how the different uh, communities came over Thai and Lao, over in Southeast Asia, Lao, the Lao community has been seen as uh, kind of second class citizens mm-hmm. uh, because Laos is not as developed as Thailand and because the Thai government has done so well in kind of showing their culture, make it, having everyone love the food. And so that's uh, one of the big reasons why like Lao people have kind of had kept that mentality coming to the United States and knowing that that's kind of what have what people have liked. So in order to uplift the community, they had to grab onto something mm-hmm. because it was this Lao community, Laotian community that didn't have any education. So like Southeast Asia, when you're thinking about 
uh, Lao people, Hmong people, Vietnamese people. Uh, that's probably that's one of the lowest um, uh, groups that have uh, education, higher education, and so resulting there's a lot of different restaurants because that was um, one of the ways that they could easily uh, kind of get uh, leverage in living in the United States. Sure. Yeah. When when you saw the video, um, was the blue rice the, the, the most like egregious error? Was, you know, reading your post, there seemed to be a, a lot of emotion toward, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's an influencer who's grabbing pad thai noodles with her hand and, and putting and eating it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say as a publisher of content, one, we didn't have a storied history of Lao food, which is one of the reasons why you're here today. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, we didn't create this dish either. We didn't mm-hmm. create this menu item. And so if a Northern Thai restaurateur calls it Lao food, well, he at that time was more uh, educated in the region's cuisine than even we were. Mm-hmm. And so for us to kind of question it being Lao food, um, we would have done a pretty deep dive before we published that content. And that's not to say we shouldn't have done that. Um, but I'm curious about what you saw that was the most egregious mm-hmm. um, and how it specifically misrepresented your community. I think the major thing that that people started reaching out to me about or within the Lao community is that, hey, there's this video out there, they're misrepresenting us. And because right now the Lao community, um, they're in their like second, third, fourth generation here, that they do feel empowered that they can speak up and that as they should um, and knowing who they are as a as people, who what their food is. And so I think it's, it was more of the hard work that I know of a lot of my friends, Lao businesses, Lao food businesses have really taken the lead to kind of like take charge of what is Lao food across the nation? What is Lao American food across the nation? And so when they saw that video, um, it kind of took, they took them back a bit because with their hard work, um, it kind of like anyone that hasn't had Lao food, you know, you go there because it looks so beautiful. It looks so delicious that they're going to think that's Lao food. And so that continues that confusion of like, oh, is this Lao food? Is this Thai food? And so that was where I think a lot of the underlying message from the community is that I don't want my food to be continue to be represent, misrepresented and be confused because that's the continuing uh, message that a lot of non-Lao people are getting. Well, I have a couple questions. So is the idea let's say the food was more accurate within mm-hmm. that video mm-hmm. is the customs of eating with your hands the spread style with the bamboo was any of that accurate in your eyes so yes and no so general um lao food is uh the bread for lao food is always sticky rice okay which is um which is which wasn't the rice there it looked like it was just jasmine rice um and the spread i would say yes but right now i think more people see that spread with banana leaves as like a filipino um, style come on yes exactly so i think i've heard some people say like it seemed like it was like the filipino feast um fused with some lao eating styles but with thai food Mm -hmm. on the table Mm -hmm. yeah so my my next question is is it better to have Lao in the name here mm-hmm. versus not having it at all on this stage. I mean, I think that's an 
I know me, that's loaded. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think for me, I appreciate that. Like, there are some media companies that don't even want. Like, if they see they did something wrong, or there's like a community that thinks they they did it incorrectly, then they just continue to move on because all oh, that's just content. But I appreciate you all actually inviting me here to kind of. Um, understand what was wrong in our eyes and what can be done better. How did you move forward? Um, and so I think if you all didn't do it, then maybe I wouldn't be here to talk about Lao food. So I mean, there's the the good and the bad of it. And I'll be honest, I had never heard of Lao food before mm-hmm. uh, the comments that came in about the feast. And obviously, I hadn't heard Lao until we had done the video. Um, I was surprised to see it at a restaurant that I've been at and and I didn't see it on the menu at the time. So it seems like a more recent experience integration that they added at Thai Farmhouse. Um, and it definitely seemed like an adaptation of the Kamayan feast that we've covered a few different ones here sure. at Food Beast where, you know, for this younger generation looking for experiential dining and they want to quote unquote immerse themselves into a culture that maybe not not their own it's like that's what's appealing right is i've i might not have had anything on that table before and i'm also not used to that experience of eating with your hand so this looks fun engaging and exciting again i don't know what the thought process of uh the restaurateur was but it definitely seemed to me that you know, the Kamayan feasts were having a media moment. This is an extension of that moment, at least from the media perspective. Again, I can't speak to the origin of the menu of the menu creation, but it's definitely tapping into that same wave. And I, I don't want to say Laos is nested within uh, Thai culture, because I think that's mm. kind of backwards in terms of what we're trying to progress here. And I'm trying to learn. But it, it kind of reminds me a lot of just the vague American understanding of like Chinese food and my my personal growth within just eating more Chinese food and then you realize all Chinese food is the same and you're like no it's not actually you realize yo there's Szechuan cuisine there's Suzhou cuisine and they're so extremely different it's funny you mentioned like Mm -hmm. you crave spice and it almost doesn't taste good and after spending like two weeks in Suzhou I was like give me some spice man like I'm I'm done because the Suzhou cuisine does not have a ton of like really punchy punchy spice that's not what they're about but it's one of those things where again i i don't want to sugarcoat us learning anymore about a particular culture but it's one of those things where it does lao cuisine risk being totally misrepresented to the point that it loses its base because it's so underrepresented currently here in America, the way that like we could have, I can go out and create a rainbow pizza, rainbow cheese, marshmallows on it. But pizza is so intrinsically Italian and American through New York. You're not going to forget the roots of pizza just because Eli A. Ruth puts out into the wild a stupid rainbow pizza. But do we risk that with Lao Cuisine by the first big impression that our audience has, that I have? If we put that out and it's wrong, and we have a girl eating pad thai with their hands, like use a freaking fork, like is that, 
do we risk? Is that what is that what's at stake here? Is that why there's so much emotion? I think so because I think like the, with the video, you know, you all garnered a lot of views, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I was able to see it because someone sent it to me. Um, and if you all weren't a big media company, then it would just be some other content in on the internet. Uh, but I think also the responsibility of big media companies, even just for myself, when I produce different content that I say that is Lao, I. I make sure, like for me, I yes, I'm a Lao chef, but I don't know everything about Lao food, but I think I know enough to be able to be comfortable and rep- feel like I can represent it. Um, so for me, I, I just want other media companies to be aware of what's going on with the community and do uh, their research of maybe reaching out to some influencers that are within the Lao community um, and doing that before, I guess, um, publishing certain things that may be misrepresented. I want to come back to the video, but I also want to give our audience a top-level view of Lao or Laotian cuisine. And and before the podcast, we kind of talked about there is a slight difference in those two things. So the first thing is, can you separate Lao and Laotian for us, number one? And then number two, can you give us examples, more examples of staple ingredients, core cooking techniques, or famous dishes that or at least start to describe them in ways that we might be able to understand in case we are at a Thai restaurant and see it or want mm-hmm. to make a trek to a Lao restaurant in the Midwest or in DC or wherever these uh, Lao restaurants exist. Yeah, get sure, us hungry, sure. man. <laughs> All right, I, get us hungry, I actually did bring some Lao food Let's if you want to taste it okay. yeah, later or so. Um, so that's a great question. So actually the community, just like the new generation that's coming up, they actually get quite confused too on how the differentiation of like how to use Laos, the country, and who they are is like, am I Lao? Am I Laotian? Um, so in general, just to make it easy, so Laos with the S is the country. When you're describing the food, you can either say it's Lao food without the S mm. or it's Laotian food. So when I say Laotian, that means that you're take you're talking about the broader context of the country, that anyone from the country Laos, they are Laotian or that's Laotian food. But if you are thinking about the dominant ethnic group in Laos, that would be the Lao people, L-A-O without the S. Um, and so, of course, the Lao food, so that's predominantly the, the food that has come from there. And so Laotian food probably will most likely be Lao food. Mm. Um, but you um, with Laos, it's such it's a landlocked country. So you have all these different ethnic groups coming in and out of the border. So you'll have Vietnamese, Cambodian, Thai. And so that's why I say Laotian um, when, when you're thinking about other people. Because if there's a Vietnamese family that has lived in Laos all their life, then, I mean, it's how they identify, but they could be considered Laotian for their, their nationality. Mm. Um, and so for me, I always say I'm a, a Lao American, Lao chef, um, just because I, I like to kind of make sure that people know like the ethnic group Lao. Um, and for when it comes to the food, uh, I would say the pop, well, describing Lao food is it's very much a, a lot of aggressive flavors. Like when I when I first I had like that. Yeah. it's really in your face. Be aggressive. Like we're not shy on our flavors at all. And so when you think about spice, pungency, um, like I actually went to Laos and Thailand for the first time in January to meet my family that I've never met before in January. It was a, it was a wild experience. But I wanted to kind of test out my idea of what I have an idea of what Lao American food is, but what is actually Lao food? 
Um, so I, it's still in my uh, head, still say the same that you know, very aggressive flavor, spicy, pungent. Um, the main thing would be uh, that's foundation with within uh, Lao meal is that sticky rice kaunio mm-hmm. is always on the table with a few dips. With a, some type of stew, uh, like gangnomai is a very popular stew, which is like a bamboo earthy stew with a little notes of bitterness. Um, and then uh, some street food. I, one of the foods I brought uh, is very popular. It's um, it's like it's actually jasmine. One of the few times that Lao people eat jasmine rice is actually when it's deep fried because that makes it taste good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't fuck with regular jasmine rice. <laughs> we just deep fry to make it extra, level it up. Um, and then the national dish, or at least um, that is throughout the country, would be lop. So a lot of actually a lot of Thai menus have this, but they spell it L A R LARP. And you might have I've seen, seen that, it yeah. in like uh, in Spider Man with when the guy was like, "Oh, I LARP you," but that's just <laughs> continuing the incorrect pronunciation. <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and talk to them also. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's pronounced LAP. So I spell Lop. it A A B. Um, but that's probably the really really important dish. Like if I saw LAP on that table, I'd be like, okay, they at least have the LAP. Yeah. Um, and I actually brought lap too. Um, and so that has a lot of herbs. Like you think of, I usually tell people it's very fermented, pungent um, ingredients mixed in with very fresh, um, fresh veggies, fresh chicken that you just cut up uh, from the villages and you get that mix of really delicious food. You're making me so hungry. Yeah. What you, you mentioned dips. What, what's a dip? Um, like, so, the, so with sticky rice, you, we use that as a spoon on sometimes uh, where you get your sticky rice. If you know how to cook sticky rice, it doesn't stick to your hand. You just clump it up. Um, you can think of sticky rice as mochi. That's pretty much what mm-hmm. it is. Um, and then you use that as a spoon. So either to dip into your spicy sauces that go along with your meats or dip into your stews. Um, but that's kind of like your your spoon. Unless you're eating like a noodle dish, then we'll use like chopsticks and whatnot. Got you. Yeah. So you, that's why when you saw that pad thai, you yeah, like, dude, use like, a freaking chopstick. Because like, I don't do that with my pasta. I don't like, like, yeah. <laughs> And so is there, when you're, you, and I'm trying to explain it for people who are obviously listening audio only, right? Is mm. you're using, when you say using the sticky rice as a spoon, mm-hmm. like ex- explain what you mean. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't, I don't need, you're kind of using your hands in here, but I still uh, yeah, don't yeah, yeah. fully get it. Sure, like, sure. Because I definitely, if I'm in, I want to try to eat the right way. Yeah. Explain how I would do that. So when I go to a Lao restaurant and I see non-Lao people come in, I I can see if it's their first time or not because you see how they eat the sticky rice. So if you want to be an expert sticky rice eater, <laughs> you, it's usually in a dip cow, which is like a bamboo basket that keeps everything warm. Um, you open it up and then it sh- should be warm where you just take like a quarter size and you just play with it for a bit and you clump it up until all the grains of the rice come together and it's all mushy. Um, once you have it that in that sticky form, um, you just you can make it flat if you want, or just use it as a ball to like scoop up that extra jalapeno dip or the that extra stew or beef meat. Yeah, you're just making like edible spoons on the go. Yeah, yeah. So like we've been <laughs> always wild. really green friendly. So that's crazy. I mean, that's what we do in Middle Eastern food. Pita, like all of a sudden exactly. it's a spoon. Mm-hmm. Like people like slap it, and I'm cool, man. Enjoy your. I don't, I don't care. Like you, if you want to slap your pita and like mop up stuff, I do that too. But when you see someone that's like picking up tabbouleh, they fold it, boom, like origami style, boom. Now you have a spoon with your pita. So that's cool. I get it. And the thing I see a lot is when I see people eat, uh, use their fork and grab sticky rice. I just giggle a little bit inside. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <laughs> like oh okay, um, but yeah. So usually like at Thai restaurants, you'll only 
only see sticky rice eaten um, for dessert, so mango sticky rice. Right. But the other, most of the time, it's jasmine sticky rice, or sorry, jasmine rice with the other dishes. Got you. Yeah. And it's not sweet at all, right? Because sticky rice, you're no, mentioning. No, sticky rice is, so sticky rice is just very glutinous. It's very mm. starchy compared to any other rice out there. So that's why it sticks together so well. Yeah, yeah guys, if you sweet. use a fork for your sticky rice, it's like using a fork to grab a fork. Yeah. Weird. There you go. <laughs> so going back to the video for a second, is it, I'm trying to put, uh, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the farmhouse kitchen owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Constantine wrote the article to kind of support this video. Um, This is a restaurant that has come to our food festivals in the Oakland and Bay Area. But, you know, I don't know for a fact if he's trying to dupe or trying to take advantage of um, the labeling of a cuisine in a certain way. To be honest, I just don't know. But I think it's also possible that he's from northern thailand through his experience in northern thailand got introduced to whatever his versions of lao food were um and then he's kind of bringing those elements of some kind to his restaurants in the u.s so is it possible that there's different and i would imagine based on your definitions of lao and uh, laotian that this Lao table is misrepresented, but if he called it a Laotian table, it might be a bit more fitting. React to that because I'm yeah. not saying that's right either. I'm just trying to put ideas on on this table and try to understand where he might be mm-hmm. coming from, assuming that for the benefit of the doubt that he's not just egregiously trying to uh, rape a culture and take advantage of it for like prosperity. Yeah, I, when I was watching the video, and when I was actually writing my piece, I tried my best to like, like if if I was the chef and I was in Laos or I was raised in the area, like what is my intention of creating this? And so for me, I thought so. I know the video also said Northern Thai, inspired by Northern Thai and Lao food, mm-hmm. um, and so that goes in the context of how. So if you think of Thailand, Thailand is the most one of the most popular countries in Southeast Asia. Um, but it's historically um, the Isan region. So there's Thailand, the central Thailand, which is Bangkok area. And then you go up, there's northern Thailand. And then if you go east, that's called northeastern Thailand. And so I, I think it said north, but let's say northeastern Thailand is actually a region called Isan. And the Isan region is actually majority Lao people. Mm. Um, and I say that because historically there's been a lot of wars and whatnot. And when the French colonized um, different parts of Southeast Asia and they let go of uh, Laos, they kind of drew the line saying, um, okay, let's just use the Mekong River as a divider. Even though on the other side, there was like this huge amount of Lao ethnic people that were there, but now we're going to call them Thai. Um, so right now, because years, so many years have gone by, they've kind of, the Isan people, even though they speak Lao, they cook a lot of Lao food, they have this new identity that has created on, on their own. So they would say, call themselves the Thai Isan. But like for me growing up, I was actually raised by um, different, not grandparents of my own, but I see them as family by Isan people. Um, but they spoke Lao to my family, they made Lao food. And so I would say that may be the context that the chef uh, may have drew from, but I don't know his background or um, what part of the region he came from. Um, but I think also 
in like future when I encourage like as a chef, I encourage people to kind of step outside of uh, what you think food is like. I love that. But it's also important how you frame different things when you're talking about food. So for me, I would have been fine if it said, oh, this is Lao inspired because we can always be inspired by different art, by other foods, but not saying that this is what it is. Mm -hmm. If this isn't. Yeah, it was called mm -hmm. the Lao table. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was the big issue. Yeah. I'm curious why why I don't think uh, Kasem or the owner of, of Farmhouse Thai Kitchen and the chef there had anything like egregious in mind is why would you co-opt something that with all due respect doesn't already have the, the like it's not like he's calling it something to draw a bunch of people in right like he's not trying to draw in uh, allow people through that because mm. they can spot it from an it's like that's not it yeah. right they're trying to win over people like me and jeff who may not have it but they're using something maybe maybe it's the curiosity of it being new and i've maybe know very little about this culture so i'm going to come in and try it but it's not like he they're a thai restaurant already like they could call it a northern thai feast and you know what i mean so mm -hmm. I, i'm curious i'm just curious i have no idea why he decided to go that i think the the suggestions you're bringing up make sense but i think if you're looking at contemporary food and contemporary food media that there is this fascination from millennial gen x generation into just exploring everything you can mm -hmm. which makes it competitively adva advantageous when you're doing something different. And I think the thing with Lao food and Laotian food, to my knowledge, is I don't know one place where to get it. Mm -hmm. I work in food media. So if that's someone who's around food all the time, then whoever's going to create the biggest billboard or sign or presence that says, I'm doing Lao or Laotian food, they're going to have a competitive advantage set because who who are they competing with? And so I think I would imagine that's where some of the emotion comes from is that to the earlier part of this conversation, there are concentrated groups of Thai restaurants in not every metropolitan, but in many major metropolitans. And I don't think you can say the same with, with Lao food. And Definitely so... Not, yeah. You know, I would imagine that you want that special food media moment to to happen to your friend in DC that's been mm -hmm. working for years to put food together and present it as Lao and comes from uh, a Lao history, a cultured history, and not to a Thai restaurant that's already been getting this praise yeah. for years and like you know what I mean. I, I I get that. I totally get the emotion, and I totally get. Tr being as factually accurate as as we can knowing that food is such a cross-border cross-cultural thing and so but doing due diligence and asking more questions and poking and admitting not knowing stuff is the basis of why we're all here to begin yeah. with and why i think this is fun and enlightening like learning i've like learned so much just chatting right now is is there pride or bad blood or beef between a community that has never seen or I won't say never seen 
but has seen less of the limelight in comparison to its neighboring country's counterpart here in the U.S. And why I ask that is because, again, going back to almost the same things we've been talking about, but Farmhouse Thai is a Michelin bib gourmand. Like, they have exposure. They now have four restaurants in Portland and San Francisco and Oakland. Like, they're obviously doing things at a level that is not just, I have a successful restaurant that gets media attention, but I'm even one step over that. And that's where I'm assuming that, have we seen a restaurant get that type of notoriety from uh, the Lao community, or is that still yet to happen? Um, yeah, we, there's been a, a few. I would say, I believe it was last year that um, that my mentor, Chef Sang, Tip uh, Kao in Washington, D.C. was a uh, James Beard nominee. Wow. Um, and so she didn't win, but she, it, it was huge for the community. We, I think it was at that, that point in time, I think it was last year or so, that when we saw that we're actually being recognized, like our food, people love our food. And Chef Sang kind of created that movement across the nation that you know you you can get here too like our food is good you don't have to uh market other people's food and feel like yours is lesser than um and that that's kind of created all these other small businesses Lao businesses around the nation that are very prideful of their food now and i think it's just such a beautiful thing to see and so that's what we as a community want to continue to do for the younger generation to know that our food is good your culture who you are because i think food is so political and stems from Every community is very prideful of their food, and we want to make sure that you know it's out there. So yeah, uh, I would say what comes to mind would be Deep Cout in DC. Um, and how uh, do you spell that for the people who are uh, looking? Yeah, so Deep Cout in Washington DC spelled T H I P space K H A O. Um, and then the other restaurant I would say closer to us. Oh, actually, so Chef James Sayabut, he is uh, a Lao slash Isan chef in SF. Um, and I believe he has his Hawker Fair restaurant, which is Isan, I believe, um, in um, the SF area. And then he has his Michelin restaurant in Oakland. Um, but I wouldn't say that's his Michelin. is probably Lao-inspired, maybe. Um, but yeah, so he would be one of the other chefs here on the west side that I would think he's helping paving the way. And he actually created one of the first few uh, Lao-Isan cookbooks out there. That is really, I would encourage people to go buy that book. It's all Hawker Fairs. Yeah, it's called Hawker's Fairs, the, the book. And it was actually under Anthony Bourdain's um, publishing company. Oh, and so wow. when Anthony Bourdain went to Laos on one of his episodes, um, James was actually the person that helped guide him to make sure that this is correct, this is what he's doing. And so these things have been building. And so that's why I think people just wanted to continue building in that positive way. Yeah. How do you... with? We've had a couple of conversations on the podcast about about f- food appropriation um, as well as uh, culture um, being represented in a, in certain ways. For Lao and Laotian cuisine, do you have a working definition personally about like what is and isn't? And the reason why I ask mm-hmm. that is because the definitions of food are so hard when you're trying to hit a moving target at any time, right? Like the your experience with Lao American food is going to be different from someone in Minnesota's experience is going to be different than someone who moved to California. You've lived in Hawaii, California, and the Midwest. So 
what you want to put in your food, I'm sure, is going to have those influences as well. Um, what's your personal definition of doing it right in regards to representation of Lao cuisine and how, how can people do better when they're mm. trying to incorporate those elements or those ingredients in their dishes? For me, I think food is always transforming. It's always evolving. So as a community, I think it comes to the community leaders' um, kind of role in in like kind of getting all that out there, making sure that everything is done with respect. Um, so usually for me, if there are like I encourage other Thai restaurants if they actually I was talking to Chef Sang and she was like oh yeah this Thai restaurant wants uh, a Lao menu like a Lao menu on their place which is great like I think that's an example of how a Thai restaurant is doing a great job and really speaking to like Chef Sang or some or maybe Chef James up here in that we want to create this part of our menu because we see that it's successful and we want to help you know the movement too but we want to do it in a, the correct way we like this is what I'm thinking the menu is going to be is this what do you think of this like is this going off too too much or people are going to be angry um, and how you call it. So I think it's very much um, reaching out to the community, however that research, however you're able to find them, and then just talking. Um, for me, like my background is counseling. So I was a uh, counselor for a big part of my career. And I think that's why a lot of the times my community has reached out to me knowing that like, I'm not going to yell at someone for doing something incorrectly, but I'm going to talk them through it and, you know, figure things out and see what how we can move forward in um, dialoguing about people's foods and all that how did you get it i know i we derailed it early <laughs> because you were about to tell us but how did you even get into cooking and, and, and chefing it up yeah um for me i'm not a professional cook i'm a home cook and uh i was i'm trained as a mental health counselor uh, where I went to, uh, got my master's in counseling psychology in Hawaii. Uh, but throughout my entire life, I've always been cooking, cooking with my mom. And I started actually in UC Irvine. Um, I started doing Shout free out. cooking class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that. That. <laughs> I started doing cooking classes for free over there. And I wanted for Lao food because I wanted to get Lao food out there. And I saw that caught on. And then once I went to... Um, uh, LA, I started working at UCLA and I want to continue that. So it was years of just doing cooking classes for fun and then eventually I was able to land um, Gourmandise Cooking School in Santa Monica nice. where I do teach a handful of months, whether it's Lao food, Thai food, um, and now I just, I do it professionally. So I do food gigs, whatever that means uh, professionally. Yeah. That's what's up. In Los Angeles and Long Beach, there's really big Thai and Cambodian communities, um, which also means that if you go, um, you know, off PCH uh, in Long Beach, there's going to be a number of Cambodian restaurants. And obviously there's, there's Thai town in LA. Is the reason that I may not know of Lao food in Los Angeles because, I mean, one, does it not exist? And two, if it doesn't exist or it doesn't exist in a major way, is that because the U.S. government sent Lao people to the Midwest where there is less media representation? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you know, Filipino food for the last four or five years has been really having its moment. Yeah. Um, and I'm always so curious about, like, well, why not other cuisines, right? And uh, react to that and also tell me if there's somewhere in LA that I should eat ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> so 
it was it's funny because growing up in Wisconsin, um, and I went to University of Wisconsin Madison for my undergrad, and there was actually five handful of Lao restaurants there, like Lao restaurants. They call it Lao. But then when I moved out to Hawaii and then California, I saw that there were only Thai restaurants. I was like, this is weird. Like, what's going on? Um, so, like, diving into that, it's I've been able to find a handful of Lao restaurants. Some that say they're Thai restaurants, but they actually have a Lao menu. Like, I even like uh, one example is if you go to um, North Hollywood. I actually go there quite a bit. Kim Thai food, um, and they are. I've talked to their chef, and they said told me they changed their menu to Thai, to Lao food ten years ago. But their their name is still Kim Thai food. I'm like, please, like this is the perfect time for marketing. Just change it. Um, and then like in Koreatown, there's a place called Thai Isan. So like I said earlier, Isan is a big region, uh, was big region of Laos, and so a lot of the food is very much influenced with Lao, mm. Lao inspired dishes. Um, and then I would say in the OC is actually the best place. Oh, that's a big. <laughs> it's one of the best places where I go to get Lao food. Like, if I don't want to cook it, I'll come down to the OC. Um, and one place would be uh, Vientiane Cafe, which is um, in Garden Grove, like with all the different Vietnamese places. And then a couple blocks from that is Royal Elephant. So those are the two places that I usually stop by. Um, I do want to shout out one restaurant that is, I would say, the first Lao restaurant in LA area. It's called Kop Chai Lai Lai, but it's more north. Um, but my go-tos are always the OC area. Damn so it. I actually went to one before here. I was like, I want Did some. <laughs> <laughs> so not only are you a chef, but you create your own food videos, photos, mm. media. Um, you know, looking at looking at your food, there's definitely an understanding of contemporary context of what P a people on the internet are interested in and what potentially might perform on certain platforms. And so, you know, for Easter, you made rainbow sticky rice Easter eggs, which were like super colorful. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming the sticky rice itself was the Lao element. Um, do you get any criticism or feedback from that same community who's sending you the food beast video that like, hey, you have a rainbow rice e Easter egg celebrating like an, Angel food beast an, an Angelo Christian holiday, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. And uh, like, what's your response to them? And uh, what's your response to them? Yeah, no, um, with my Instagram, I totally get um, constant like criticism with what I do but I think I for me I t even though you get like one negative comment there's you look at the overarching um, average of like hey most people appreciate the content that you're making so like for me I very much emphasize Lao food and kind of I want for my mission is to uh, uh, level up Lao food when it comes to content creation so like I do a lot of top-down videos with Lao food that no one's ever done before and that's why People feel like when they watch uh, one of these videos, they feel like at home, like they're, they, they're seeing themselves. So representation within media is so important. Um, and so that's why I create these videos. But also just to know, like for me to feel fulfilled is that I also am a creative person. I wanna go beyond, I wanna be inspired by my food but not limit myself. And so that's when you talk about like the rainbow uh, sticky rice. Um, most people, I remember them enjoying it and actually I got a, a 
quite a bit of people that made that with their their kids. So for like that kind of video, I emphasize that as more Lao American experience. Like people in Laos don't celebrate Easter, at least that I know of, don't celebrate Easter. But for me, I grew up um, um, celebrating Easter and like finding eggs. So that was my interpretation of my Lao American experience. Yeah, because I'm just curious about how you how you balance everything, man. Because uh, there's obviously a narrative that needs to be told over and over to as many people as possible that this culture and cuisine exists just by itself, right? The fact that you've already mentioned some of the staple foods that Eli and I, I know we're already excited to go out and try because we've never seen them and we've never had them before. But at the same time, you're so immersed that you're uh, evolving the cuisine. Does that confuse the same people that you're trying to reach and educate that message to and and how do you balance both sides because from the media aspect i think the the colorful sticky rice easter eggs are like really fun but then again if that's the first that's entry the first point you have to, to lao food you're like confused like so yeah. okay so it's all colorful all looks like a foodies feed like i don't get it and then you miss out it's is that almost as as off as the video that we put out, if you will. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, like things that aren't the traditional Lao dishes, I try my best to do like Lao inspired, or people usually know that it's this is my Lao inspired mm -hmm. recipe versus like, I'll explicitly say like, if I make khao pun, which is a very traditional curry dish, I'll say, this is Lao food. Um, but if I kind of sway a bit, because like, for me, I have like, quite a bit of ideas that I know is going to create some kind of controversy within the community, <laughs> but I want to do it because I'm a chef and I know it'll taste good. But I think the thing about food evolving is that uh, I think chefs are very much very radical in being an entity that kind of... Um, shapes cultures through food and so all this food that we talk about has had to be created by someone and then had to be layered on top of one another another one another and had to be criticized right. and so i take it as a way like yes i'm gonna do the traditional food that everyone grew up eating but also i am who i am and i'm gonna also sway a little bit and that's gonna be fine i'm gonna get pushed back but that's part of the the, the field Word. i wanted to start on this clip but i feel like it's closer to, end, to to kind of wrapping it up on. So there's an episode of of King of the Hill where his his name. Have you you know what yeah, I'm about to show, what I'm, what I'm gonna play? Yeah. Okay. I just, I just want to play it and I want to break it down because it's basically Hank Hill is a character on this show King of the Hill and he's asking his up to that point what the show paints is like an ambiguously Asian neighbor named Khan if he's Chinese or Japanese. So let's let's listen in and then let's talk about it real quick. So are you Chinese or Japanese? I live in California last 20 years, but uh, first come from Laos. Huh? Laos. We Laotian. The ocean? What ocean? We are Laotian. From Laos, stupid. It's a landlocked country in Southeast Asia. It's between Vietnam and Thailand, okay? Population 4.7 million. So are you Chinese or Japanese? Oh. The first okay. piece of education right there. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think we need to break that down in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah. Um, you were obviously aware of that clip. Yeah. 
Tell us your experience with that clip and the conversations that you've already had with yeah. that clip. I mean, growing up, that was like the main clip on how people knew about, if they did know about Lao, Lao people. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was great to show that, like how important media is when it comes to talking about certain groups and that knowing that you should be well represented because it's going to affect kids growing up. Um, and so that one, I think was great that it, it brought Lao people to the front and showed that like this is some other part of the world that people don't know about, but also bringing up the like, are you Chinese or Japanese? Like the that was also yeah. a common thing growing up in Wisconsin. Even they didn't know, they just thought I was like a East Asian person. Yeah. But like, does, are you upset at the accent? Are you upset? I like, That's a white guy, that, by the way, a white actor. A white voice actor playing that. I didn't know that till today. And and so yeah, I mean that just. I mean again, I'm some. And again, I'm not Laos. So I don't feel the same emotions. But I'm putting myself in the position if it was a Japanese guy in the same episode, and we went through similar issues. Is that that's the that's the media that I have to represent myself with growing up, like. I'm sorry, that fucking sucks. And and that, I hate that. But I get why it's still potentially like 51% pro versus 49% con because of the fact that it illuminates people who didn't even know that culture existed now know. But I fucking hate the medium, you know? And I think my first question to you saying is, are we are we still not that far? from are you Chinese or Japanese? Um, and we're in California, which I represent, or I assume that is going to be more progressive and understanding of different cultures than, than maybe the average place. But I also have never lived in Wisconsin. Um, I haven't visited there ever. And I'm curious about the places you've been um, how aware or not aware they are to the Lao culture. Yeah, no, I think when it comes to like the accent stuff you mentioned, uh, from my knowledge with that, I think the they did they had, they had their friend that was Lao, and that's why they wanted to add them to it. And that was their Lao experience, because that's, the, I'm guessing when that came out, that was, that was just like one of the few um, refugee waves that came here. And like, even for my parents, they weren't fluent in English. And so that's kind of somewhat what they sounded like, which I think also I understand the frustration where when it comes to Southeast Asian, and then you look at the East Asians um, coming here, it's very different. Like East Asians, they they have they economically have done really well, and then I think that also is another whole another topic that where Southeast Asians uh, they're clumped into that group, thinking that we don't we are also rich, we're also this, but it's quite different in how the migrations came. So instead of clumping all Asian groups together, kind of taking things away. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different components of that that you know, we can pick apart the same thing as like the videos here, we can always pick right. apart. But for me, I try to look at it in a positive light of what can I take from that and how can I um, move it in a positive direction? I mean, comedy is subjective and then you could pull that clip apart and say that it's just as much as it's perpetuating a stereotype, it's also illuminating another stereotype of the ignorance of Hank Hill and his buddies who genuinely, he's giving you hard, cold hard facts Khan is get the character of Khan give you cold hard facts that I am this Asian. This is the country I am from. Here's the population of it. So someone in that writing room, albeit at all probably all white writing room of of people creating what they believe to be this character, 
they got some facts in there that the viewing population of King of the Hill may have never known any of that ever. So again, the same way that like hopefully our audience looked at our video, maybe went and tried out that food. Maybe like, you know, this was fire, even if it was Thai food. And they're like, you know what? I, I need more of this Lao food. And then they actually go to a real restaurant or find another men- menu item. I think those are like little baby steps that mm-hmm. are overall net positive from this situation as opposed to net negative. And if we can have it with the auxiliary of this conversation, I think it's overall net positive. Like, And I think when, when you talked about like my experience, it's like, yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I did face quite a bit of discrimination and racism. Like there are moments of like these young teenagers just like yelling at my family to like leave the country because you're not, you don't belong here. And so for me, you know, I face it with how I, I role model my culture, my community, and like knowing that there is a place and why we're here. and. Um, kind of being a good role model for upcoming generations to know that it's, they're going to face this kind of power dynamic, but we need to kind of move forward and seeing what we can do to shift things. Well, and finding the beauty in it, mm-hmm. right? Finding the beauty and being proud of where you're from, the food that tastes mm-hmm. so good, that's so different from the other food that tastes good, and, and it's not like diminishing or diminishing the light of another culture. It's just continuing to, to grow the light of your culture and let more people taste it. So. I feel like that's been a really fun common thread that we've been learning through putting content out into the wild, seeing what people think and learning from stuff. So content isn't finite. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Like when we put something out, it's not over. Comments are going to come in. People are going to respond to it. There might be a follow up. I mean, you're going to bless us with some food right now that I wish we were eating right this very moment <laughs> so we can moan over these mics. But, you know, content's never over and it's not finite. I think we're just going to keep learning from this. We had a, a another recent guest on the podcast. Uh, we were talking um, about uh, native and indigenous foods. Uh, and I asked him a question that I want to ask you, which is, does the group of Lao or Laotian people have enough opportunity and funding to even create restaurants in a way that the media landscape will welcome and accept them. And the reason why I ask that is because in the indigenous uh, and Native American food communities, you know, there are our guests to our guests from Uprock, Zach, talked about there's a chef in Minnesota that has a cookbook that's gone to New York and you know, been on the Today Show and, you know, has a James Beard nomination and he's six to eight months from opening a restaurant. And that's kind of like the premier example of the face of indigenous foods here in the U.S. And, you know, a big, that's so mind boggling to me that the face of this movement or one of the big faces of this movement like doesn't have a restaurant Mm -hmm. and and so i'm curious about what your thoughts are about access to traditional levels of funding um and if there is still discrimination in that way because what eli and i do know and what we talk about on the podcast a lot is that starting a restaurant no matter how small is capital intensive and you're signing a lease and you're getting equipment and you need anywhere from five to 10 employees and that takes payroll and taxes and all sorts of stuff. And 
I know that the re- the restaurants you've talked about have existed, which is already a step forward ahead of I think some of the indigenous cuisine that we talked about. But do people just need more opportunity? Like, do you need more opportunity personally? Because you're a chef, you're creating all this amazing content. Like, I, I want to go to your restaurant. So react to that and and tell me what's going on i think in the restaurant side of the community yeah no i think so when i mentioned earlier how like you know there are five different restaurants in madison wisconsin versus la like where are you at restaurants Mm. um but i think that's also like financially like lao it's hard for anyone in la to you know create a business there and thrive especially in the restaurant world and for me like i would love to create a restaurant but no, I don't have that kind of money, that kind of opportunity. Uh, I, what I thought of when you were talking about that is that like the Thai community, there's actually, I don't know if it's still happening, but when Thai restaurants started popping up, it was actually the Thai government that funded a lot of it for cultural promotion. And so they had this funding pocket already all the way in Thailand creating Thai restaurants in the United States. And so if you look at that right next to Lao people, it's like, no, we came here as refugees. Our country is very poor. It's beautiful, but very poor. Um, and you're starting with people like, for me, I, I grew up on food stamps. And so I didn't know any better besides like studying really hard and doing what I can to get out there. And so I think with my experience, that's kind of what I want to give to other younger Lao people that you can create your restaurant and name it Lao and it will be successful. Um, for me, I would love to, I, I would, I, for me right now, I'm more of a consultant for other people. I think what I would love to see for the Lao restaurant community is like better marketing. Cause I think they also do need support in that. Um, I think marketing is like one of the big key things in any kind of business. And I think that's very much lacking within, um, the Lao restaurants here. Got another question for you. Sure. So we're a publication made up of 20 or so people. We all come from different backgrounds, but we there are hundreds of other backgrounds across this world that we are going to be interested in their cuisine. And we don't know, we will not know how to quote unquote fact check it or validate it for authenticity outside of knowing other people and having sources. So I'm imagining in three months from now, we're going to walk into uh, a West African restaurant and they're going to call something X and we're going to cover it and call it X. And this situation might happen again because we didn't have anyone in our office that was West African and could comment on the food Outside of maintaining a, a source base that we can validate cuisine against, is, is there anything else that we can do as a publication? Outs- again, I think we would con- we're going to continually try to do better to match what people are saying to, what, to perspectives that matter. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard because I'm, I'm thinking of the, the farmhouse tie, right? Like... We just did, we were just ignorant and I don't like admitting that, but at the same time, like this is the conversation to make it get better. And to Eli, your point that content is a wheel and we're now we're going to be better equipped to better represent Lao food. And to be honest, like I think Eli and I are going to be stoked to go to a couple of the restaurants you mentioned, discover it and see what stories we, we can tell. 
But if there, what else can we do to yeah. prevent that from happening, in your opinion? Because I just would love to hear a third party that's not existing within Food Beast. Totally. Uh, I think uh, it's like playing, finding that broker um, within the communities. So the beauty with social media is that the, what I've seen, at least within the different communities outside of Lao community, is that there's always this hub of community central, especially Instagram. Like, for example, for Lao food, um, there's the it's at Lao Food Movement that Chef Sang, it's a nonprofit now that she runs. And so with that Instagram, you can actually find all the Lao restaurants in the United States. Like wow. she highlights them all. I mean, they're not many, but there's a good amount. Um, and then kind of like replicating that mirror, it's like looking at Filipino food. There's the Filipino food movement Instagram. You, you, uh, you click on a hashtag. And then, you know, for me, I, I, I do want to create content that's outside of Lao food. And so for me, I'm all about uplifting other Southeast Asian communities, but I also am aware that like, I don't know it all. So I just, because I have a recipe doesn't mean that it's correct. And so how I would suggest going about it is like reaching out to um, those hubs like, hey, do you know who you would suggest when it comes to the best type of Filipino food, the best type of Burmese food? And then that's kind of the direction that I would take in doing my research um, and that's how I go about it because I do produce other videos like the Vietnamese video it was I uh, talked to a top chef a Vietnamese guy and he helped me create that and I felt more comfortable even though there was still backlash within the com Vietnamese community so I'm like you can't please out anyone but you can do as much work and kind of have that backing thing I did this in order to get this versus I just did this and this is what happened right which uh, which recipe should our audience check out of yours that represent Lao cuisine in a great way and gives them a good first impression um, and maybe something a, a bit on the easier side yeah. to locate ingredients and be able to prepare to have their own at least somewhat version of, of Lao food at home. I would say I think of two. So the first one is Sen, which is uh, it's like think of uh, chicken noodle soup but uh, Lao style where there's you make your handmade noodles are actually really easy if you look at the recipe really handmade noodles made out of tapioca and rice flour with a chicken broth very spicy mm -hmm. garnished with cilantro green onions it's like perfect if you're sick I mean yeah that's one thing I would recommend um, and let then, me stop you right there. Yeah. If there's a spicy version of chicken noodle soup, that bland yeah. shit that I... Well, that sounds so <laughs> amazing in comparison fuck to regular the chicken, chicken noodle yeah, soup, man. Regular, regular chicken, chicken noodle soup sucks. <laughs> like, out of the can. I'm not insulting your mother's homemade chicken noodle soup. I'm insulting but. my mother's homemade chicken noodle soup. That shit is trash. She makes amazing food. Chicken noodle soup is not it. All right, what's the second dish? What's that one um, called again? I'm sorry. Kaupiaksen. I'm gonna need you to write yeah, that. I'll, down I'll write it for down sure. for you. Um, and then the second one that actually, so it's not as approachable, but I think it's made people very proud to see. Um, it's probably my highest one. It reached over 200k views. Nice. Um, and that one is actually the, it's called lop. So the lop, what I mentioned, but yeah. this one's lop deep, which means raw beef. Oh, and yeah. people, for me, I didn't eat that growing up, but I saw it being eaten by my parents. So now I eat it because like, I'm like, oh, it's not going to kill me. It tastes good as long as you know how to cook it. Right. So I think when people saw that, they kind of reminded them of their parents eating it, but them never eating. But knowing that that was very much of central Lao food right there. What, what does that look like? Is that like a ground raw beef? Yeah. So if you think of tartar, yeah. um, that's pretty much with a lot of herbs like galangal, lemongrass, fish sauce. Um, <sighs> sticky rice powder yeah it's really refreshing it's delicious and if we were looking for ingredients for lao food uh 
Where would we go? Yes. So let's, if we're in the OC, I would recommend there's a lot of, go to the Little Saigon. A lot of the Vietnamese grocery stores have them. Um, there's, I think there's some small Thai, Lao um, supermarkets you can grab there. Um, and for me, I live in Koreatown. Actually, Korea, uh, some Korean markets have some ingredients, um, but Thai Town would be the closest just because that's the huge hub of all Southeast Asian stuff. Where can people find your content and, and learn more about you and what you're doing? Sure. So all my, I produce a lot of my content on Instagram. So it's I am Sang, I-A-M-S-A-E-N-G. Um, and then that's where I really post all of my different events, um, things that I'm doing. And actually for the LA Food Bowl, uh, one big event that I'm doing with two other chefs, a Vietnamese chef and a Filipino chef, Chef Diep and Chef Isa, we're doing a talk slash demo about fish sauce that because it's so universal, but how do you use fish sauce in Filipino food, Lao food, and Vietnamese food? It's on the December, or sorry, not, uh, May 26th. Dang, cool. Yeah. I'm gonna check that out. I can't wait to go to some of the Lao restaurants that you've mentioned saying because knowing that that orange county is a random hub yeah is that's pretty cool. that's pretty we're awesome. not a random hub for much so that's, <laughs> that's what's up anyways thank you Sang, for being on here man enlightening us and hope everyone at home learned a little bit of something even if you didn't know there was smoke there was apparently smoke and we <laughs> settled the smoke <laughs> love it and if you guys ever have any issue with our content hit us up i'm at book of eli at jeffrey kutnick uh, reach out to us, Instagram, Twitter. We're all ears. Thank you, Izzy producer. Was good. And um, saying thanks again. Thanks Until for next me. week, y'all. Until next week. Bye. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>